Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes George Downing, who will discuss how video intervention therapy can be used to strengthen mentalization. And now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Hello, everybody. I am back with the Attachment Theory in Action podcast, and I'm very excited to introduce my guest today, Dr. George Downing. Hello. Hi there, Karen. Yes, thanks so much for being with us, George. Um, so I'm, it's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm excited to, to have listeners hear about your work with video intervention therapy. And um, so, you know, if you might start out uh, just sharing a little bit about how you got involved in developing video intervention therapy and a, and a little bit about the start of it. Well, I, for many years, have been teaching and supervising and doing basic psychotherapy with an extra uh, perspective uh, added to it, and that's some focus on the body. So I, for example, working just in an ordinary way without video, do a kind of work that's more or less cognitive behavioral therapy, but with much more emphasis on not just feeling the body, but finding out how one organizes the body at different moments and what are new options for that. So uh, that's been a long interest. And that, over the years, uh, brought up for me a lot of questions about early development and how this uh, our tendencies to shape ourselves with the body second by second um, and how we do that to facilitate contact with someone else if it's an interaction and how we do that also to defend ourselves in a certain way. I became very uh, focused on questions having to do how does that all emerge in early childhood? What, what can we find out about that? That took me to the area of video microanalytic research, as it's called, the kind of research that Daniel Stern did, uh, the kind of research that Beatrice Beebe and Ed Tronick uh, still do, research that uses video of parent-infant interaction and parent-child interaction uh, as the subject of study and uh, people like BB and Tronic then have specific coding systems for you look at a video and there's specific ways to code what happens and that becomes material for research. Mm-hmm. So to make a long story, okay? Yes, keep going. Yes, so, it's great. So to make a long story short, I got involved in that and then just through a series of chance things, I got to know both Tronic and Beebe and uh, with both of them that's been a relationship since lasted many years where uh, we often look at videos together and I learn all kinds of things from both of them. So um, that was an important background and once I got 
connected with that area of research, it seemed to me a no-brainer. Of course, we should be using this for intervention. Uh, and not just with parents and infants, but parents and older children and couples and so on. Make a video like this, but instead of using it for research, look at the video uh, with the parent or the couple or whoever. And that's what took me there. I uh, found out some about the work of Susan McDonald in Michigan with video, and I uh, found out some about the, the uh, for me, uh, very impressive work of Maria Arts in Holland with video, and mm -hmm. learned a few things there. But then I, bit by bit, put together my own way to do all this, uh, using basically a CBT framework and adding not just the body like I usually do, but also integrating some sessions with video uh, inside the therapeutic procedure. So that's it. Yes, yes. And, you know, at this point, I know you um, have come up with, as you said, your own way of analyzing video and, um, you know, lots of different specific uh, techniques within that overall practice that I've learned so much from you about. Um, I'm also particularly interested in how you think the use of video intervention therapy can help when there are attachment difficulties um, in various dyads. Where, where do you see um, video work fitting so well into that? The uh, approaching that topic, um, the first thing to say is I try to consider um, when thinking about development, I try to consider a number of different aspects, attachment being one of the most important. Plus, when we look at a relationship today between a couple or a parent and an eight-year-old or whatever, what's happening with attachment I consider one of the most important things. I also consider that not the only thing going on. Mm -hmm. So um, the first step for me to getting more clear about that is to define more what we mean by attachment. Sometimes people seem to mean attachment, that's the relationship, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's good, it's bad, it's type A, it's type D, whatever. And, uh, well, that's one way to speak. Mm -hmm. I find more helpful to define attachment as specifically what goes on in the times that person A is feeling needy or feeling uh, vulnerable and there's a clear need for comfort or soothing or some kind of help like that from person B. And then comes the question, what happens in what we could call attachment transactions? Uh, when person A uh, is in that kind of state, then there are three questions. First question, um, how openly and clearly as, and with what skills does person A communicate that vulnerability, that special state? Mm -hmm. and, then the, and then the second part is um, how does person B respond to that? Mm -hmm. In 
in with what forms of competency or lack of it this person be respond. Yes. And then the third part is, given that person B provides at least a minimum of the right support or soothing or whatever, um, how does person A take that in? Do yes. they take that in well and put it inside and calm down and get back to a more positive state fairly quickly? Or does it all go awry in one way or another? Yes. So just to take the clearest example we have that everybody knows, in strange situation, that's a paradigm version of an attachment transaction. Mm -hmm. So person A is the little 12-month-old there um, and uh, in, a, in, a, in a very worked-up state, and here comes mother or father back in the room for the second reunion, and then, well, then from a research point of view, uh, how does the kid behave? Does he go directly in the right way to the parent to get soothing or not? If he just continues to play and acts like nothing's wrong, then we have a avoidant attachment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if he starts going to the parent but then veers off and goes in some other direction or does some other strange way to fragment his behavior, then that gets coded as one or another of the forms of category D, disorganized attachment. Mm -hmm. If he goes successfully and well, but then uh, what goes on is that person B, the mother or father, tries to give some soothing, but it doesn't work between them. They both escalate their, uh, they, they both get more out of dysregulated rather than less, et cetera, et cetera. Then we have a so-called ambivalent attachment. If the kid goes there directly and well, this isn't what's coded in strange situation coding, but it is going to be there. Does the parent give more or less the right thing? And then, and this is coded, does the kid take it in, calm down fairly soon, and then uh, give a nonverbal message, well, thank you, I'm going to go off and play now. Then we have a so-called secure attachment. So those are paradigm examples of successful and unsuccessful forms of what I'm calling an attachment transaction. Yes, I really appreciate uh, you being more precise about how we are talking about that. And because I've, one of the things that has been so helpful for me in uh, learning video intervention therapy from you is being more precise and more specific. I feel like a lot of the families um, sometimes that clinicians work with were being kind of vague, like be more nurturing. Okay, so what does that look like? <laughs> um, that, that can look like very many different things to different people, and some people may even have less pictures inside of themselves, so to speak, about what that word looks like. So I really like how you're breaking this down into very specific things here. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. I could add something to it. Yes. Which is that um, 
once we start talking about older children or couples, obviously, naturally, it all gets more complex. So um, we have to think not just about what's the behavior on both sides in those special moments, but some of the underlying beliefs that they both have as well about uh, the right to show that kind of thing, about how much can I count on the other person, about my right in general to experience and uh, communicate vulnerability, about in general my uh, how much one can count on other people, etc. So when we start to move into that, we're moving into what Bowlby called the internal working model, or rather verbalized forms of the, uh, the internal working model. And so these are beliefs, what in, in CBT is called core beliefs uh, about self and other. And that means that uh, when we're working with video in this area, not just in general with the relationship, but what goes on in such moments um, with older kids and with uh, adults, it makes sense to think about and help them think about not only the behavior, but also these underlying beliefs that help them to work out what needs working out with these beliefs. I mean, you, uh, with your experience as Shattuck and the others as Shattuck, know especially how much is involved in working with older kids with an adoption history uh, in terms of helping them, not just with how they act in certain moments, but with their underlying uh, belief system of who can I count on, who do I belong to, who stands there for me when I need that, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, so just stepping back um, a, a little bit more broad question here about uh, video right. intervention therapy, the way you teach it. Uh, you speak of it being a module type of approach that uh, fits in with others. Could you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, it's quite simple. I think ideal is to integrate sessions with video into a wider treatment program. So that might be an individual therapist, uh, a therapist working, doing individual work with either a child or an adult. It might be a program of treatment. Uh, but the, uh, the interesting thing, I think, the what can be highly productive is to add some sessions with video to the ongoing procedures that are already built into whatever the treatment program is or whatever the treatment style is. So that means some sessions with video and some sessions without video. And then you can look at interesting ways to integrate what's going on between those two kinds of sessions. So that's the basic idea. Mm -hmm. So. When I teach about what do you do in a video session, that's teaching about just what you're going to do in those, at those special times. But also at times we have to think about how does it fit into the rest of the, treat, the treatment program. Yes, yes. And I think here we should also say, um, in case some of our listeners <laughs> think the way I did, when I first heard about uh, your work, I would... 
I was so used to doing video of treatment sessions and doing video of the Marshak interaction method and things that were videos that I was doing in my office that I was surprised to find that many of these videos are done at home and, and they're done outside of the office by um, the person who's in treatment with you and then they, they, they bring the video to you. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that and maybe just some of the scenarios that you would sometimes suggest be videotaped? Mm -hmm. Thanks. Of course. To have, of course, on the treatment setting, uh, like if a, with residential programs for kids, for example, it's typical that the, the videos are made inside uh, the program and even when parents come to visit. Uh, it's made, something is done by the professionals there, but not always. For example, one residential program that, that I, I supervise in Germany, the kids go home for weekends and the families can bring a video from, from home uh, if they want. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one that made in over the weekend. So briefly, the advantages of doing the video in the institution or in the private practitioner's office is you have a lot more control over the quality of the video, naturally. Uh, you give that up if you have them make your video. Sometimes their videos are technologically uh, not so wonderful and it can be a little difficult that way. The advantages you gain are several. One is it's possible to get videos of a much wider variety of scenes. I'll give some examples in a moment. Uh, second, the um, uh, people uh, often are a little more natural in their own home setting, uh, especially not, if we're talking not about residential programs, but uh, some kind of treatment form, not even a day hospital, because then the kids get used to that setting, but treatment where the kid just comes in once or twice a week and so on, because notoriously in a lot of therapy with kids, kids with behavior problems, for example, are often much better behaved when they, they're brought to the therapist's office. Mm -hmm. So to see what's going on in the natural setting, um, people are a little more, uh, do a wider variety of their own typical behaviors. So that's the second big advantage. And the third advantage is with the new culture today of everybody uh, taking all kinds of pictures and little videos with their phones, uh, some parents naturally will begin spontaneously in a particular apt moment to whip out a phone and say, oh, I'm going to video this now and bring in videos one never would have expected to have. Mm -hmm. So those are, all, those are all advantages. Now, what, what to give as a task to film at home, that depends entirely on first, who are we talking about? Um, a parent-child relation, a couple relation, or what is? Secondly, what are the treatment goals? What are the what are the difficulties and the problems, and what are the goals? So, let's say we have a, uh, a six-year-old boy who's doing school refusal, and he's come. They're coming in once a week for therapy help, and it's a big mess in the mornings when he's supposed to be getting ready for school. Well, a video of how the interaction goes then is precious, utterly precious. We can have them, for example, put a camera on a tripod 
uh, in a strategic place in the home, make a video of about an hour, perhaps, and then what we'll work with in the section is just three or four minutes of this, uh, a key moment. But having the camera there gives a good possibility of capturing it. So we see the kid have his meltdown, we see the parents have perhaps their meltdowns, whatever, mm -hmm. and we can, with them, look very precisely at who says what, what are the nonverbal forms of body organizing, what would be better options, what seems to go well, uh, what triggers what, and so on. So those are very uh, useful videos that are different. They're different in information and very different in quality from what you get when you when you uh, just film in the institution. Yes, yes, and uh, we've we've done both types of video at Chaddock and certainly found what you're saying to be true. Um, yeah, and and um, I, I I think they're. There are pieces and, and things that we've gained from both, but but it can be quite different. Um, Absolutely. Yes, yes. So, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you about, um, because I think folks that are working from an attachment theoretical perspective are, are thinking about the idea of the ideas of mentalization and reflective function, and I know that um, you've written about um, the how to work on um, mentalization through the use of video. And I wondered if you could share a couple points about that. Sure. Um, the briefly, just for a quick sketch of a theoretical point of view. When we do a session in VIT with a video, um, and let's say we're working with a, a parent and the child is not there, just to make a simple version of it. Um, we, we generally first find out, we show a little bit of the video, and then we find out what the parent notices and finds interesting in it, hear about that, and then the therapist shows a small number of positive things on both the parent side and if we're talking parent-child interaction on the child's side. And then, if this parent seems ready for going farther, uh, then we go into a negative pattern, something that could be changed, and we uh, elaborate that quite a bit more. We go into that in quite a bit more depth. Now, there are... Uh, a couple of, there are in a sense, three different ways to do that. One is to just focus on behavior. And sometimes we do that in a session. Oh, there'll be moments of, you know, well, what do you think he was feeling here? What were you feeling here? And so on. But the focus is mainly on behavior and a piece of behavior that can be changed. The second form is going into what I call the inside movie, going, making a step in the session where the therapist says something like, now let's look at a little bit of the video again, and stops at some point. So imagine you are in the interaction. Uh, what's it like? What are you feeling? What are you thinking in the interaction? So we try to get the 
client to project himself or herself into the video, uh, imagining being in the interaction again, and then see in a, in a present sense, uh, oh, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What are my intentions? And so on. So we explore that inside world. And uh, that uh, can go in lots of interesting directions. A third way that's close to that is we can have person A explore the inside world of someone else up there in the video. Explore is not the right word here. They can form hypotheses of what's going on in this other person. So let's say the videos of a parent and the three-year-old and the three-year-old and the, just the parent there is in the session, and we might go into, uh, well, look, at this point, what do you think he's feeling? Uh, if he had language like an adult's language, what would we, what could we say he's thinking? And then at this point, what is he feeling? What is he thinking? And at this point, and that's very interesting, a very interesting kind of exploration. Then another interesting technique that goes even farther often is, okay, we're going to look at two and a half minutes of the video again. Imagine now you are little Jason. See little Jason, see as little Jason what you find yourself feeling, what you find yourself thinking. So this is, uh, this I call a simulation technique, and it teases out even more of a parent's ability to make good, form good ideas about what's what's perhaps happening in the inner world of the child. That, of course, is mentalization. And then the further work with that might happen on one or two levels. It might be just in regard to specific ideas the parent comes up with, the therapist supporting, oh, that's a good idea, oh, that's an interesting uh, notion. Or the therapist might gently push on those ideas and going, oh, well, that could be one way to think. What about, do you think it could be this going on in him too? Or, oh, well, that's an idea, what you just said. Do you have any other ideas about what else might be going on in him? So those are ways to push a little bit. Those are ways uh, indirectly to say, hey, please try mentalizing a little more right now. Mm -hmm. Or work can be done on another level, looking at more generally, uh, talking about what seem to be the positive skills the parent has at mentalizing and what skills could be further developed. And for looking at that, with VIT, we use reflective function thinking, RF thinking, and the RF coding system has a number of different scales and the therapist can notice in an informal way, not in a research coding way, but in an easy, informal way, well, uh, with regard to this scale, does parents seem high on a skill level, low, medium, and in regard to that skill, high, low, medium, and so on. And then by generating this profile of the skill levels in relation to the different areas of mentalization, uh, the therapist can then determine what would be particularly, uh, which skills would be particularly useful to target in a more explicit way. How could you learn to do more of this, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
Thank you. Thank you for sharing those. Those, those are really just amazing ideas on ways, ways of working on, on mentalization and reflective functioning. Um, I wonder, before we... Well, with just one comment more on that. Yes. There's so much interesting work with, okay, what do you do about this mentalization stuff? It's been done by Peter Fonagy in England and his colleagues. But that work is in an analytic setting, and it's mostly talking about the analytic relationship. And so there's a vast area that's gone relatively unexplored about how uh, in other forms of therapy work in different ways, using different forms of intervention, could people's, could work be done with people's uh, different various skills at mentalization. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, that it's, um, that there are specific skills that we can help people with. Um, so, yes. Right. Uh, lastly, before we turn to, um, you know, where some people could have video intervention therapy training and, and some of the things you've written, I wonder if you, uh, might speak a little bit about using this work with couples, um, which is a big topic. Um, I'm not even sure what specifically to ask about it since I have less experience with that. Um, so just, you know, offer, offer what you, what comes to mind. Sure, it's not so different. Um, I mean, at, at uh, Chaddock, uh, when you do so many forms of interesting creative sessions with an older child and a parent, or the older child and both parents, so often when you do the intervention there, you have the child and the parent or both parents in the room looking at the video together, and uh, you do that. And with a couple, it's very similar. They, you give them a task, they make a video, or it might be a negotiation about something. We use lots of negotiation videos in couple, uh, when videos added to couple therapy. But there are lots of other kinds of, of possibilities, too. Sometimes it's a task like um, cooking together in the kitchen, but usually it's a conversation. And it might, there are negotiation conversations, there are tracking conversations, that is how the skills that uh, for one person to track what's going on in the life of the other person, it might be as simple as a 15-minute video in the evening where you each find out what's been going on uh, during the day for the other person. For example, so you set up a task, they make the video, or sometimes it can be done in the treatment setting. And then you look at a little piece of the video that's been selected, the therapist selected out. You find out from both of them. Uh, when they first look at it, what do they notice? What stands out? What are their reactions? You, to be brief, I can't go into the details, but you structure that a little more than if you're working with one person. You do it in a way that makes sure that one person is not going to use the video to criticize the other person mm -hmm. at this point. That would be not too helpful. Right. Um, then you go into positive things on both sides. You show them. And then you go in, assuming they're ready for deeper work, you go into a negative pattern or more than one, and it might be a negative pattern of one person or the other person, or often it's a joint 
negative pattern. Uh, when she does this and this, he reacts with that and that, and there are things that could be different on both sides. It might be joint in that sense. Um, and you work with that. Or if you have an extra long session, you might spend some time with a negative pattern of one and then leave that and go do some time with a negative pattern of the other. And uh, then you plan some some new behaviors to try out during the coming days. Uh, we, we also often use continuation, what I call continuation techniques. You know, often working with video with VIT, we do some work with either the outside movie, the behavior, or the inside movie uh, with the inner experiences. And then we go back to the video. Not always. It depends on what we're working on and what the video is of. But the, often we go back to the video in different kinds of ways. It might be a kind of exposure work with the video, or it might be trying some new skills uh, that can be fitted to what's going on in the video. And they're similar. One of the variants of this is what I call continuation techniques. And this is done, you might have, you might have worked with one or both of the couple partners, and then you go back to the video and say, all right, now let's go back. We look at, at a minute, this, this, and this, and you stop. And we stop at a point where things started to go sour, let's say, and, and tell them now, face each other, video stops, face each other and continue that conversation, but trying it out using these new ways to interact and let them continue the old conversation in a new form uh, and see how that goes with the therapist moving in to give praise and help with little nuances uh, that where it could be helped and so on. Yes. So that's, that, that's an overview. Yes. And um, I love the continuation technique. I think, um, in using it in, in the way we've sometimes used it outside of couples is just looking with a video with a parent and it's, it almost, um, and a child, it, it just gives them an opportunity, like you're saying, right there and right then to uh, do this differently in, in some of the ways that, that maybe have been being discussed and talked about. So it's very powerful. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a natural thing to do. Fits well and it really um, uh, gives more power to the total session. Yes, yes, fully agreed. So uh, now, George, where I, I know you come to the United States, uh, you know, you live there in France, but you come to the United States on a fairly regular basis and are also offering training um, all around the world. We have a lot of international listeners. Where might some people be able to come to some training with you, um, read more about your work, learn more about your work um, and your video intervention therapy? Well, the best thing to do is to go on my site. And what I do, that's I do lots of things that are just supervision inside some institution, uh, often psychiatric, where it's not open to outsiders, but things that are open to anybody, uh, you know, people, you can find that on my site. So just Google my name, George Downing, Google my name and, and uh, together with video intervention therapy, and that will show you onto my site. 
that will give you the site, and uh, everything's listed there. What I offer in the U.S. is quite limited. I don't go all over the world. I, I go around in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I make little short trips, like, uh, oh, I'll be going uh, soon in a few days to the University of Heidelberg, and uh, there, there's a group there that's integrating VIT into a treatment unit. Um, so I do things like that um, in, right in Europe. But for U.S., uh, once or twice a year, I offer usually offer something in New York, and that's in collaboration with Howard and Miriam Steele, and that will be on the side. Uh, for example, uh, as I was just mentioning to you before we got into the podcast, next April, Howard Steele and I are going to be presenting something together uh, having to do with this these mentalization uh, components. Um, and the other place regularly is out on the West Coast, usually in August, inside uh, Christy Brandt's parent training program. Uh, this is an ongoing program in that where different people come in and teach a group, uh, and I teach them for two or three days once a year. But that's work with relationships between parents and kids zero to three. Ah, yes. And then Ben Kovic runs a similar program in Boston. And every second year, I come and intervene inside his programs. Those are the regular uh, times and places where I do something in the U.S. All right. Well, very good. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today and for for talking here on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks to you, Karen. Uh-huh. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, www.theknowledgecenteratchadock.com, or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to the Knowledge Center at Chadock.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.